Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Perry Glanzer, Professor of Education at Baylor University. In this episode, we discuss the ins and outs of being an excellent student, which goes far beyond just earning good grades. Perry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, I enjoyed reading your recent book, Identity in Action, Christian Excellence in All of Life. Uh, I'm interested in what got you interested in this topic, first of all. You know, part of it, I think it was being an ethicist. I mean, that's my uh, training. But what you see often in the Christian life is people focusing on sort of the do nots or the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you see this in Mark 10 with the Pharisees, right, uh, where they are focused on the law about divorce. And, and Jesus says, you know, the law was given to you because your hearts are hard, hmm. right? So in other words, it's not the ideal. And then Jesus goes back to creation and sets forth the ideal, you know, that husband and wife in marriage is the ideal and what hmm. God has joined together, let no person separate. Yeah. And so, I mean, I see that a lot in ethics that we're focused on the do nots instead of the, the excellence, you know, what does mm. God envision in terms of excellence in a particular sphere? Mm-hmm. Um, I see this on campuses in particular, for example, when it comes to sex or alcohol, um, it's like, well, abstinence for marriage. Well, abstinence isn't really a Christian position. The Christian position is, you know, God made this to be beautiful in a certain context, but it's this God has, you know, given us this positive vision, say for sexuality or even for, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever we eat or drink do for the glory of God. Um, But we often often focus on the rules. Right. So what led you to get to the point of actually writing this all down in the book? You know, this is probably the most personal books that I've written. And I think it, what got me to it was just realizing students don't have a book like this. Hmm. Um, there are lots of books about maybe parts of their lives and, and, you know, excellence, although it's usually not talked about in that way. And they also don't uh, understand what I would say is, what does it mean to start with the fact that you're made in the image of God and hmm. that that's your basis from which to start to excellence? Um, and so I, the, I realized, for example, I did some interviews with Baylor students, uh, 18 seniors were doing these exit interviews. And when asked the question from where do you find value and worth, only three of the 18 says because of, you know, what Christ has done for me or because I made the image of God. The others, they found their worth in, you know, relationships or relational Mm -hmm. accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I light up a room when I come in and that's what gives me value and worth or um, just, you know, accomplishments in general. And I realized, well, first, that's where identity excellence starts is that you are you already are excellent in terms of being made in the image of God. But then, of course, Christ has achieved for us that excellence before God. And now then that's when you can be motivated to go achieve excellence. And that's what the gospel writers do. You know, most of the books don't have the epistles don't have commands until later in the book, you know, Romans 1 through 11. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. Ephesians 1 through 3, Colossians, you know, 1 and 2 through, I forget where switches, but it really sets up, who are you? What is God's mm-hmm. story? What motivates you first for excellence? And then once that's set up, then it goes to commands. Um, and those commands are not just rules of do not. They're like be imitators of Christ. Um, and uh, love is Christ loved, uh, very positive vision casting uh, sorts of commands. Mm, that's really good. 
So how would you summarize the book in just a few sentences? Boy, yeah, I would say, um, first of all, your ultimate identity excellence comes from God. It's a gift, whether it is being made in the image of God or salvation. But second, God calls us to pursue identity excellence without idolatry Hmm. and in every area of our life. And that's what we need to figure out. And that takes a bit of work. I mean, love uh, in a marriage is a lot different than love towards your students. And you have to, uh, it takes a little work to figure that out. Sure. Well, and I liked how the book went through in very practical ways, how students can, it can be excellent in specific areas of their lives. And uh, today I want to focus on one chapter that I found especially interesting where you talk about being excellent, excellent in your work, being a real student. And there, there you suggest there's more to being a good student than just doing the coursework and getting good grades. Why do you say this? Well, because, uh, you know, I teach a lot of students and I have a lot of, you know, great students in the sense that they, they get A's, but they kind of, their goal is to get A's often. Mm. Now, some of them, their goal, that's not their goal. It's, you know, the grades show that, but their goal isn't really learning. Mm. Uh, and their goal isn't really, maybe they see grades 4.0 as being excellent, but they don't understand, well, no, excellence involves not just getting a 4.0, but what does it mean to be an excellent social worker, an excellent educator, or an excellent business person, or excellent uh, biologist? Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't thinking in terms of the big vision mm-hmm. of excellence, uh, and so they're thinking about the hoops that they jump through. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, especially Christians. Um, you know, and I experienced this myself. I would say I was a very achiever-oriented in many ways. Got the good grades. Uh, it's, you know, especially in high school, then college. You know, uh, had a little more of a challenge, but I think, you know, I too kind of came to realize, wait a minute, what am, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the grades, perhaps to feed my identity or feed my ego. Um, it needs to be for something bigger and broader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested that you said, especially Christians, why is that? I would think non-believers might struggle with that more. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, why do I say that? I think Christians can sometimes tend to be rule followers um, or pleasers, instead of wait a minute, I am God calls me to pursue excellence in you know whatever identity it is, whether it's being a a parent, a, a friend, a neighbor, um, and that isn't always sort of rule following. That's something bigger and larger. And I will say, Christians have, are not uh, you know in the past hundred years aren't known for producing the elite academics and elite. Uh, mm-hmm. institutions of higher education. Now we do have some, mm-hmm. and I think that is part of that when you don't encourage people to pursue excellence, mm. except for perhaps in areas of kind of Christian discipleship that are understood in terms of pietistic practices. Well, that was what I was thinking. I'm, I was wondering if the sacred secular dichotomy maybe comes into play and the yes. know, excellence in spiritual things is important, but excellence in non-spiritual things is somehow less yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's almost seen as worldly yeah. uh, instead of understanding, well, excellence without, a, I mean, with adult, I mean, if you're idolatrous about it, that's mm-hmm. worldly, but being excellent is not worldly. Mm-hmm. I think you got a good point. Well, related to this on page 83, you say, ultimately Christ followers should not engage in a vocation purely instrumentally as a means to get a job, make money or be comfortable. Students often do not talk about the pursuit of excellence for God or others. And you appear to suggest that the Christian story should be more fully integrated into 
all of our students in particular's understandings of vocation. So how does that change the way you think students, students should approach their calling as, as students? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what, you know, I, this comes up, um, I've interviewed about a hundred some, I mean, well, actually a couple hundred students and asking them questions about what is the good life. And what strikes me is when they talk about the career, they talk about, they want a, secu- a career that gives security, financial security, or a career about which they're passionate. And, uh, you know, the latter, I mean, you need both. And the latter, of course, I'm supportive of, but I think they understand uh, being passionate as the key thing. And it is very, very important. You see Olympic athletes, they have to have passion to pursue excellence, but they need a lot more <laughs> to pursue excellence. Right. And I think sometimes students just kind of think, well, if I'm passionate and I kind of engage in this, then excellence will come, or that's what's really important is just being passionate. But uh, excellence requires a lot more. I mean, just like those Olympians learn. I mean, you have to have a coach, you have to have mentors, you have to practice and practice isn't fun. Often you're not, you're not passionate about practicing, whether it's in your vocation or say with a musical instrument or like a sport Mm -hmm. Uh, practice, uh, particularly what's called deliberate practice takes hard work under a coach who gives you things you have to work on and correct. Um, and that's the part I think uh, Christian students really need to understand. Yeah. Well, and I can see some pushing back and saying, you know, to, to pursue excellence really in anything and the Olympic athletes, the paradigm case really is a, a, a means of being prideful and uh, sort of bragging to others. So I'm not sure I really am called as a Christian to be excellent. How, how do you respond to that objection? Yeah, I would say uh, you're right if that's how you get your worth and value. Okay, back to um, that, yeah. But if you get your worth and value from Christ and you think, okay, Christ has called me to this particular vocation, Christ has called you to excellence um, in that vocation. I mean, in creation, God wanted us to develop in excellence in our areas. It can be prideful also, too, if you think, well, this puts me above other people in terms of worth and value. Um, and that's where you can really get prideful as well. All right. Well, you've set up a, an excellent foundation uh, for how to be an excellent student. This has been helpful. But when the rubber meets the road, what steps should a student take to actually progress toward excellence? So what do you suggest they do? Yeah. And that's where, you know, it's kind of like a sport of music in that you have to learn the particular techniques of what excellence involves and just like sports and music, right, following the rules is an excellence. I mean, if I, you know, play basketball and I don't double dribble and I don't travel, mm-hmm. that's not excellence. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Some third graders do that. Um, <laughs> so what do you need? Well, you need uh, even the most excellent players need coaches. Uh, you need those coaches who can instruct you and help you to practice. So you need to practice. And then the practice is what makes things uh, you acquire that are second nature. We mm-hmm. often in ethics, we call as virtues. In other words, they're not your first nature, or I should say they aren't your fallen nature. Our first nature actually was good, um, but our fallen nature um, doesn't have those virtues. And so we are to acquire the virtues of Christ. I mean, this is what it means to bear God's image. And you have to do that in particular vocations. So um, hopefully for me, you know, loving my students or, you know, showing grace or forgiveness, teaching them in faith, you know, virtues of faith and hope all require practice and all require kind of particular learning that hopefully I can gain under mentors and models. You need models as well. 
mm-hmm. um, to engage in those. So those are some of the key things. So then, you know, what does it mean to be an excellent student? Well, like for me, I share a story in the book about I didn't really know how to read in college until my mentor, uh, who uh, Rick Hove was a leader of a Christian group on campus there, kind of had us read uh, how to read a book by a philosopher named Mortimer Adler. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I learned, I would say, how to read in the sense of how to read for an argument. Mm-hmm. I was a very self-centered reader. I used to read for, what does this mean to me? Instead, I learned to read, okay, what is he trying to say or she trying to say? And then trying to outline the argument, understand the argument, and then also critically analyze it. I mean, is this truthful? Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned how to be both a sympathetic and critical reader um, with the help of the mentor. Actually, then what's interesting is, you're right, this was outside of class. This was through the Christian group I was involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really you know, appreciate, and Rick did this in a number of areas of my life where I had just financial stewardship. Uh, Rick had us read a book called you know, Master Your Money. You know, it was really a you know a Christian perspective about it. What does it mean to master money? I didn't learn this in economics, but I learned it through a mentor who introduced me to, to the certain rules, perspectives, a worldview, um, virtues. You know, what does it mean to be grat- you know show gratitude towards God mm-hmm. uh, in money or say in being a student? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that those are some of the things you need. Good, yeah, and and I really liked the way you categorize reading into three levels. You know, the first level, just reading for what's personally meaningful, and then Adler helping you at a level two to look for the author's overall intent and argument, but then eventually getting to level three where you're looking for truth. Right. And I, I think that's really important for students to understand that uh, so often uh, you, you, st- you stop at level one and you cannot be an excellent student if you just are reading at that level. Yep. And two, you know, the surprise of my grad students when I say this, I say, you know, you don't have to read every word. Uh, um, mm-hmm. You know, there's certain things you do need to read every word, but, you know, sometimes you are reading for different purposes and, you know, say if you're trying to get the overall argument, maybe mm-hmm. you skim the book first and then there's sections you come back and read closely, uh, especially when I'm writing, for example, a book review. You know, I'm reading a book multiple times, but in different ways. And that's a skill you learn under coaches and through experience and practice. Sure. Well, it seems to me there are two sides to excellence as a student. There's kind of the theory and the practice. There might be more, but uh, it seems that might encompass them, these two. You know, kind of the practice being how do you develop study skills? How do you read well mm-hmm. at a level three and so on and so forth? And we had a guest on a while ago who talked about how to get better grades and have more fun, things he helps students learn. So really the practical things. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of research more on the theoretical side, the engagement of ideas as a Christian. And again, so much of what a student is called to do and be excellent in is to think well about the issues that are uh, discussed in class, in the readings that papers are being written about. And so many have summarized the biblical narrative as a progression through creation to fall, to redemption, to restoration which you touch on a number of times. How can a student relate each of those biblical motifs to his or her course content? Yeah, I think that, that's a wonderful question. And actually, to me, this, your question is the core of what I call Christian critical thinking. Mm. Is, uh, and I will say this, there, I don't think there is such a thing as sort of critical thinking in general. You're always thinking from a particular paradigm, worldview, or narrative. 
And what you just outlined, I think, are the four essential parts to learn how to think Christianly about a subject. And uh, what I usually say to students, okay, you're coming across this, say, this book or this reading, you know, say something like even controversial, like critical race theory. You know, we'll pull that one. Okay, creation. What is it that is good that kind of reflects creation in this, perhaps, this theory or uh, this particular book or this speaker, right? The idea that we're all made in the image of God, that all of us have value and worth, I mean, among different races, that should uh, resonate. Now, the problem with the theory may not be they don't connect it to the Mago Dei. Yeah, the image of God. Right. They maybe just kind of say, well, we all do. And they don't really explain, well, why? And so you start with, okay, what is good? It reflects creation. Okay, what is fallen here? Mm-hmm. Do they use biblical categories to reflect what is fallen? Um, is there talking about sin? Now, we'll say, you know, some people talk about, oh, they talk about oppression and oppression. Well, actually, that's a pretty biblical category if you ever read the whole Testament. So in some ways, there's some, if you kind of do that comparison, you find, well, hey, there's some similarities. But yet there's also some, you know, differences and maybe what they, maybe they reduce sin to just external social structures instead of also mm-hmm. individual actions. Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps the other side just reduces sin to individual actions and not social structures, which can also be fallen. So then, uh, yeah, and then the third way is, okay, how do we go about reversing the fall? Christ ultimately is the one who's reversed the fall. But he asks us to join in that work. And so how do we join with Christ in reversing the fall in this particular area? Or say this particular theorist, how do they propose reversing the fall? Often, you know, for example, critical race theory is through power. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, you know, with, uh, for Christians, I mean, Christ gave up power to reverse the fall. It's a very different kind of approach. Now, that's not to say we don't try to use, I mean, steward power Christianly, but uh, that's just a sample. I'm just, obviously, this is a more complex topic. But I think, um, you know, if you go creation, fall, redemption, and of course, restoration, particularly on a race issue, is really important. I mean, Revelations, it talks about every tribe, tongue, language, nation is going to be there in heaven we should be celebrating you know our diversity and um, celebrating that god has made us with different colored hues uh, both in creation but then we're also all going to be there and so when we want the kingdom to come here on earth as in heaven well if heaven's going to be like that we should want reconciliation and redemption among racial relationships here on earth. Mm. So that would be kind of a simple thing of Christian critical thinking using creation, fall, redemption, restoration, I think is a fantastic way to do that. Well, and that's such a great example that you unpacked in just a few minutes. Uh, I think a student would be a long way toward being excellent. If in every course and every subject, they could apply that fourfold story to whatever issue they're addressing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, right. I've, I remember uh, reading this eco- economics professor who talked about, he just, uh, he was a teaching at a faith-based institution. He talked about economics. You think, well, how do you do that in economics? Well, he just talked about, okay, in economics, we talk about resources. Where do resources come from? And he kind of just pauses and says, they're a gift, right? They're, they're, they're gifts that we have from God. I mean, he just, you know, inserted that in about how here's the Christian story in creation. We start here. Uh, we need to realize our economic resources are all gifts from God. Um, mm. And then, of course, then he went on in other ways as well. To show how they're misused, fall, uh, yeah. uh, can be restored. Sure. Yep. I've got a friend, uh, Mike Metzger, who takes that fourfold story and, and gives it four very easy to remember words. 
Ought is can will. Hmm. I like it. There's a way things ought to be the way they were in the garden before the fall. Yep. There's a way things are right now in a fallen state, a way that things can be as they're redeemed and things that will be ultimately when things are all restored fully uh, through uh, God's work in tandem with what he's called us to do. I like that. In fact, I might, I'm going to write that down and use that myself. Cause I mean, I teach this four part, uh, I mean, these four parts in my classes to help people think Christianly about different issues, especially like moral development and faith, faith development. Sure. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important professors are in the lives of students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to both non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ, and they can have a lifelong influence as mentors. Please consider helping equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this College Faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith. Now, you, you quote research that indicates this idea we're talking about runs contrary to the modern ed- educational philosophy. You say, the underlying worldview of modern education divorces humankind from its dependence on God. It replaces religious answers to many of the ultimate questions of human existence with secular answers. So how can Christian students swim against this tide and, and tr- truly love God with their minds during college by, by integrating this fourfold story of scripture into what they're studying and not divorcing the two? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I wish it was easier than it is. Mm. And this is why I think, you know, excellence is complicated. For example, in my field, I teach people going to student affairs. They're going to be helping students in college campuses. Mm -hmm. One of the dominant theories is called self-authorship. You really want to encourage um, students to develop self-authorship. Well, in some ways, this is true, right? I mean, if we could do our creation, fall, redemption thing. Yeah. I mean, God, I mean, parents too, they want their kids to grow up and, you know, be, have certain level of autonomy, mm-hmm. but yet Christianly, there's something wrong with this and that we're supposed to be really co-authors with God and with the Holy spirit right. helping us in these areas. And so, but as I, it's funny, when I talk to Christian student affairs folks about this, you know, they have just learned the theories of their discipline and they haven't critically examined them. And so they've kind of just imbibed this. Oh, I really like the theory from so far about self-authorship. And I can understand why. I mean, you want students to be a little more independent, but yeah, it's, it's something, this is where you need the coaches and mentors to come along and point out. And uh, it's usually the people who have the best imagination are the experts are the people who've really developed expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and by imagination, I don't mean like, you know, children's imagination, children are the best at imagining, but I'm talking about experts who can imagine new ways of doing things within a particular discipline. Mm. That's a good distinction. Yeah. We do need those people uh, to kind of help mentor us. 
And so, I mean, then you need God and the Holy Spirit to, so I think in a lot of ways, it's better to think about our development as co-authorship instead of self-authorship. And as you know, there are many Christian professors who divorce their biblical worldview from the content of their discipline and don't integrate the two. Uh, some do that without necessarily saying those ought not to be integrated. It's just not part of their practice. But there are others who actually say that that ought not be done, that actually the content of a discipline and the content of the Christian faith and worldview are, are in two separate, although equally important realms, but they ought to stay separate. And how do you respond to that perspective? Yeah, I mean, certainly that historically, they call it it's kind of a two spheres model. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's been the bane of sort of Christian higher education. Yeah. Um, I try to respond by, you know, first point out, you can't do that. Mm. I mean, you're, you always have a worldview and with certain philosophical or theological assumptions. So really, it's an impossibility to have a kind of separation. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I mean, Christian education should involve, you know, like you said, thinking about a subject within the whole Christian narrative. I find pointing out concrete examples of differences and similarities is very helpful to for people to see this is why you can't separate it for example you know in the field of education that i do i mean what's the purpose of education oftentimes will be well maybe development or something like this well i say well you know a christian thinks differently about this we should think wait a minute it's recovering the mago day the image of god in us mm-hmm. and that's a whole different way of thinking sure and so you have a whole different way of thinking about okay what virtues should we acquire well we should acquire the virtues of christ you know love forgiveness humility Whereas if you look at character education, mm-hmm. I mean, I've done this study of character education laws and like, you know, over uh, most of I mean, all the nation, the top virtues they emphasize are more like respect, responsibility, honesty, good things, but different. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole different vision for what is the purpose of education. Um, oftentimes they're trying to make democratic citizens and they don't realize, they don't realize how much dem- democracy as a worldview They've taken it from a political arrangement to a worldview. And so they think, oh, we want to create autonomous, you know, citizens. It's like, well, for Christians, no, we want to create more fully image bearers of God. And it's a whole different story. I mean, approach to education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. My hope, and, uh, and I'm speaking now as a father of two students in college, my hope is that they have Christian professors who are committed to bringing all truth to bear on the subject matter, which is going to include the biblical worldview as it relates to psychology or sociology or economics or what have you. What would you say to a student, whether it's at a Christian college or a secular college, to help them identify professors that really are, are doing a good job of thinking holistically about where biblical truth and the Christian worldview fits in and relates to issues in these different academic disciplines? Yeah, great question, right? I mean, when do you, where do you look for mentors when you don't have them? Right. And I'll be honest, I kind of, in some areas, like I said, I had some good mentoring in college, but there's some areas I had to look for them on my own. Hmm. And what you need to do is, one of the great things about right now is there's um, there are all kinds of Christian professional organizations, like, you know, Faith and Philosophy for Philosophers or uh, a Christian History Society. And there are Christian professors in these professional organizations doing lots of reading and work. So uh, I would say 
for example, on I'm an editor-in-chief of Christian Scholars Review on our website, we actually have a list of bibliography of books you can look to in, in all kinds of fields of some of the best books in those different fields. We also have a list of all those Christian professional societies. So I would say, you know what, it's on you to do some of your homework to search this out and look for it. Because in some cases, you know, you're, even if you're part of a great church and a great or a great uh, Christian organization on campus, they maybe won't know some of the most up-to-date uh, scholarship on, you know, say you're in an area like, um, you know, social work or just uh, sociology, psychology, um, and you're going to have to find some of that in your own. And it's through these professional groups, um, through these kind of resources that you can find it. I mean, obviously, Global Scholars is one of the organizations to turn to to find some of those resources as well. Let me ask you another question then about these Christian professional societies. Uh, my experience has been they've primarily been professors and then grad students. Are there ways undergrads can get involved in these groups? Are they encouraged? How does that work? That's a good question. I wouldn't know for a lot of those societies, but what I can say is uh, a lot of these societies have journals. And so you maybe can't get involved in terms of like presenting a paper, Sure, but you can get involved by joining and uh, getting their journal um, connect, you know, going to their conferences. You can do that Yeah, sure. and uh, learn from what they're presenting at the conferences. Yeah. And say a little more about the conferences. What happens at that kind of conference? Yeah, usually that's where uh, where professionals come together and try to advance the discipline through presenting new research. Um, And for Christians, it means advancing, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian historian? What does it mean to be a Christian um, anthropologist or teacher of a, you know, world language? And so they're presenting papers about how they think about that. Now, it may not be broad. It may be very specific on, you know, this is how I deal with reading Russian literature. Mm-hmm. But again, it's uh, it introduces you to the conversation happening about what does it mean to be Christian and, you know, this kind of particular professional Christian legal society is a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian medical society. Mm-hmm. There's also a Christian nurses society. There's all kinds of professional and academic groups along these lines. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember just being blown away the first time I went to a Christian professional society meeting in my discipline in philosophy. Hmm. It was sort of a smorgasbord, right? Where at any hour, there were 20 different papers you can go here, read and sit in the back and just take it in. It was so helpful to just listen to what they say and then listen to the others in the audience who have questions or critiques and pushbacks. And I just learned so much from that. Yeah. And I would say particularly, you know, if you're a Christian uh, thinking about, you know, going to graduate school or you are in graduate school, it's a great place to kind of sometimes recognize wait, I could be a part of this conversation too. I'm right now. Some things you aren't going to know, but then sometimes like I remember hearing a speaker and going, wait a minute, I know all these things. Well, you know, I have some thoughts on this. Yeah. <laughs> I think I can yeah. contribute. And it's a way to kind of recognize, Hey, there's this, you know, fantastic conversation going on. And you can be a part of it. Yeah. Well, and it in practical terms also gives you a chance to network and get to know people who may be helpful. If you want to go into grad school yes. that, uh, that you might be able to go, study with and might help you get into a, a graduate program. Yeah. Let me go, go a little different direction. I want to pick up on uh, another thread here in this chapter. Uh, it's no secret that college education today is extremely expensive. And even with tuition discounting, most parents and students are looking at taking on a significant amount of debt. What would you say to the student who in the face of these costs just says, Hey, 
higher education is not worth it. Uh, I can serve God without a college degree and save the money. Um, it would probably depend on the, what, what I knew about the student. Some of those students, I would say, you know what, you know, you're right. I think, I mean, we, we don't want to downplay our blue collar brethren mm-hmm. who don't have college educations, but serve God in fantastic ways. Yes. And so you can, and in fact, you know, like Dwight Moody was a shoe, shoe salesman, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we don't want to downplay that. Now, that being said, you can gain tremendous tools that God can use mm. for going to college. I mean, George Whitfield helped start the first great awakening versus, you know, Moody, who some would say started the third great awakening. Uh, Whitfield was, you know, uh, was it Cambridge or Oxford? I'm forgetting right now. I think it's Oxford, but he was, you know, educated at one of the most elite places. And as a result could, you know, certainly, but he was able to speak to the masses but he also could, you know, deal with professors. And uh, in fact, he did uh, cross, you know, theological swords with Harvard and Yale professors mm-hmm. uh, when he would come speak here. So there's some, you know, I would say it widens your group of influence and it opens up doors, you know, um, just like a doctorate degree does. I've been able to do things and go places because of the education. And God may not be calling you to that, but he may. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would consider that. Sure. Good. And parenthetically, our listeners might enjoy knowing that you served with global scholars for a bit in Russia. Yeah, actually, uh, it was fantastic experience. It was also very hard for some other reasons, health related reasons. But, you know, I mean, intellectually, it was just fantastic. And uh, I still draw upon that experience today in terms of just teaching, writing Mm. and, uh, you know, what the Lord taught me through that experience. And boy, it's, it's fantastic. I wish everybody could have that experience. I think there's nothing better than getting out of the, you know, especially if you're American, getting out of the Western American bubble and um, seeing some other cultures and uh, seeing the, what you can learn, both positive and negative from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of those stories, you know, I can still remember I'm an ethicist and I was, one of the, I was teaching a class on virtue or social philosophy. And we were reading after virtue mm-hmm. in class. And I remember handing the book to this Russian professor. This Russian professor was like, I mean, for one said, we desperately need this. Is this going to help my students become more virtuous? And it was just like, wow. And because this professor experienced the demise of communism, was just so hungry mm-hmm. for something that could uh, replace communism in terms of, in this case, virtue. Um, and for, for me more fully, it would be the Christian vision of what uh, that might look like. Right. Interesting. Well, Perry, as we draw to a close, is there anything else you'd want to make sure we touch on as we talk about excellence as a student? Yeah, I think, I mean, probably one of the things is, you know, one of the challenges I one could make to my book is, you know, I talk about being excellent in all these areas. Well, it's pretty hard to be excellent in everything. Mm-hmm. And I agree, right? And I think if we need to recognize this is a journey um, in every area. And there's some areas where, you know, I would say this, my wife is an excellent neighbor, me, I would say I'm a bit below average, <laughs> um, right? But I'm learning from my wife and hopefully join her and help support her in that. And so there's, I think we need to recognize that excellence in all these different identities, whether it's a student or neighbor or a friend or um, a member of Christ's body, um, I think is a journey and we're all at different places and we can learn from each other. But I think what we need to realize is, you know, don't just give up. You don't just sort of, ah, that's not important. Um, I think God calls us to still seek it. 
Yeah. And I think the earlier point you made about identity, not being in your excellence, but in Christ helps because then when you aren't excellent, when you fail, which we all do, uh, it's not a blow. It's just, well, I'm on a journey. I'm making progress. I'm getting there, but long way to go yet. Yeah. I mean, your identity in Christ supports you from a lot of uh, idolatry and a lot of just dysfunction Mm -hmm. in your life. Because, right, there's a lot of, I mean, I will say this, right, in the pagan world, there's a lot of people are excellent, but they've had to sacrifice so much of their relationships, Mm -hmm. so much of their friendships, uh, so much else that's good in their life um, because excellence became an, an idol. Right. Good point. Well, where can listeners go to get more, uh, whether it's books or podcasts or other resources, you know, on some of the issues we've talked about today? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, the, what I mentioned was the, the Christian uh, Scholars Review. It's an academic journal that looks at sort of the, all the disciplines through a Christian worldview. There's also other journals that I've mentioned, but uh, you can find the list. Yeah, uh, we have a website and we have a blog that a different professor from a different discipline um, every day is writing about, you know, what does it mean, for example, one recently is, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian econ- economist? Um, or what does it mean, you know, for being a professor in English literature? Um, and so if you're interested in that kind of conversation, uh, certainly we have lots of resources on that website, um, as well as uh, links to other resources. Great. And I'll put all this in the show notes so listeners can find these easily. Thanks. Well, Perry, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for your service to the kingdom, your scholarship, the way you nurture students, the way you try to think Christianly about issues in your discipline and, and more broadly and the, the, the nature of the call of a Christian scholar to bring all truth to bear on the issues in their fields of study. I appreciate your, your service. Well, thank you. Well, I certainly appreciate, as you mentioned, I mean, Global Scholars uh, is doing fantastic work for the kingdom around the world, which I think is one of the advantages of Christianity, too, is uh, encouraging you to see the, this broad around the world perspective, which is so helpful. And what does it mean to love people and also pursue excellence in academia in different countries, which looks differently? Mm-hmm. Um, as I've taught in different countries, sometimes, uh, you know, like I had to teach in Russia in my ethics course, a course on bribery. What does it mean to be excellent Christian dealing with bribery? That's you know, it's going to look different in different places. And uh, I'm glad to see, I mean, Global Scholars is great at that international conversation and equipping scholars around the world for that. Well, appreciate the encouragement. And uh, we'll continue to pray for God's blessing on your work and your family. Well, thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. And if you haven't done so already, I would greatly appreciate your review of this show at Apple Podcast or Stitcher. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.